Hey, welcome back to Casually Artful. I'm your host, Stephanie Lee. If this is your first time listening to me, welcome. It's so good to have you. And if you're a recurring listener, welcome back. There's been tons of development since I recorded the last episode, but before I get into any of the stuff that we're going to talk about for this week's episode, I just wanted to take a moment to acknowledge how overwhelmed I am by the response to the first two episodes. This is a passion project for me. This isn't something that I make any money off of. It's not something that I expected people to actually care about so quickly, but the amount of positive response that I've gotten from just the first two episodes is so heartwarming. And it's amazing to see that people are actually resonating with the things that I have to say. I didn't really expect anyone to care. (laughs) And I haven't even done that much marketing for this because I really didn't even expect to be good at it. Truly, I just wanted to start this uh, for myself. This was a project that I've been sitting on for years at this point. And to see it be so well received from the bottom of my heart, I couldn't thank you guys enough. And to every single person that's shared this with, you know, their friends or on social media, thank you so much and share it again. No, no, I was joking, but seriously, I really do appreciate it. And I feel like I had to come on here and say that as I release this third episode. So on that note, without further ado, here's another hour of me talking into a microphone in my bedroom. I wanted to start with some updates from the last couple of episodes that I've released because I didn't even remember this when I recorded the first episode or decided to start talking about the artist's way on this podcast. In my first episode, I talked about how my notes app is a graveyard for ideas for me. Once I write something down in there, that idea just goes to die in there until I go back through and clean it out. I'm a huge fan of not being a hypocrite, so I do try to take my own advice. So I was cleaning out my notes app looking to consolidate my thoughts, and I came across a note from August 15th. There's nothing else written down except the words, the artist's way. Now, I stumbled across that TikTok about the Slack channel for the people completing this. Um, Probably at the beginning of September, I was just scrolling as normal, and it was something that I ended up Uh, commenting on and the girl added me to it. Obviously, I understand how TikTok works. Once you interact with something about a certain topic, the algorithm will push other things to you about a certain topic. And I had come across a couple videos about the artist's way before I ended up interacting with this girl, but they were so few and far between and it had been so many weeks that I really didn't think anything of it or even remember that I had written this down as something to circle back to. And remember how I said I also don't believe in coincidences? Well, this note also happens to be put in my notes app as roughly 30 days before I started The Artist's Way with the group, which is so interesting that it was able to bring that back to me so quickly. Okay, I just went back and checked. I started The Artist's Way on September 18th with this group. That's 33 days. That's crazy. I started 75 hard on September 15th. I'm sure there's going to be a little bit of a delay in the turnaround time between me recording this episode and you guys actually being able to hear it live. Um, But we're currently on day 13 of 75 hard, just to segue into that. Uh, 75 soft, to be more accurate. I really expected to uh, face more challenges completing 75 soft than I did the artist's way. 
But truthfully, it's been a breeze to do 75 Soft and to just maintain all of the commitments that I made for myself with this. I knew that the water intake was going to be a challenge for me. But what this challenge has made me realize is that I've lived my whole life dehydrated. But I've been doing good. I've been drinking my water. I got a cup, you know, so that I could (laughs) feel like I had, you know, some investment in it. Uh, uh, Drinking out of a straw has helped me to drink more water. I don't know what the correlation with that is. I'm assuming it's the part of my brain that just has an oral fixation. But but yeah, uh, water's in, exercise is in, the pages are in. Um, We're doing good over here on day 13 of this challenge, so... I like to keep that part short and sweet because there really isn't much to talk about with that, at least yet. But um, yeah, for the artist's way, that's a whole different story. So I'm currently halfway through week two, and I've had a couple days to really actually, you know, take in what happened for week one. Um, I'm running this Monday to Monday with the group right now. Each week, there's like a reflection that's supposed to be done, and we've designated Sundays for that. So Monday marks the start of a new week, basically. Because this is literally a three-month program, and we're going to touch on this every week for the next three months, at least, um, and I really do want to do uh, an episode about this program as a whole at the end when I've completed it, looking back on it, I also don't think that this needs to take up Uh, too much time each week. So I think that the Sunday reflection is going to be my touch point for the updates when it comes to me going through this. I also really think that it's important for me to not delve too deep into the the book each week in case there are people out there that want to do this on their own. I know the book is 30 years old, but I don't want to spoil it for people that want to do this program or that have found out about this program through this podcast. I want people to be able to have a a fresh perspective when they read it so that they can take what they need from it. I know this podcast is about me and my experiences, but I'll still keep it pretty short and sweet when it comes to that. I really do think it's important for people to take what they need from the book, so I don't want to inflict my own opinions on other people and skew their perspective, so... Uh, With that being said, let's uh, just jump right in. So just to recap, for those who are unfamiliar, The Artist's Way is a book by Julia Cameron. It was written in 1992. It's modeled after the 12 steps of recovery. It comes with a workbook. Each week you have committed to taking yourself on a weekly artist date, writing in your journal three pages every morning, and uh, completing the tasks that are assigned for the week. The good thing about this program, and it's very different than 75 Soft, you don't have to restart the program if you miss a day. You just move through the program throughout the 12 weeks, and at the end of the 12 weeks, you look at what you've done, you look at what you haven't done, and you go from there. This book really prioritizes being gentle and realistic with yourself about the things that you're capable of achieving within a certain amount of time. And with that being said, I missed a couple days last week. I did all the big things. I got most of the pages done. I got most of the tasks done. I made sure to take myself on the artist's date. That's what's really great about the Sunday check-in is that you uh, are kind of doing a wellness check to see exactly how much of it you're getting done and how much of it you're not getting done. So here are my stats for the week. I did four out of seven true morning pages 
fresh out of bed, first thing in the morning. There was one day that I did them when I got to work, but that's just because I was trying to build the habit and I didn't want to skip the day. But it wasn't like truly a morning page because I had already had so much stimuli for the day. I'd driven, I'd listen to music, I'd use my phone. I really don't think that that is how that page would have gone for me if I had done it first thing in the morning. So I don't know if it counts or not, but we're reporting it. I'm really enjoying doing the reflection though at the end of doing all of the morning pages because I really do feel like it wraps up that week, the journal that is this creative journey, truthfully, with these morning pages because sometimes I feel like I don't make sense first thing in the morning. I've also noticed how different I am when I journal in the morning versus journaling at the end of the day like I normally do. Well, truthfully, at the end of every couple of days. The conversation that I have with myself is so different when it's first thing in the morning versus it being reflective journaling at the end of the day. The biggest thing that I've noticed right off the bat is that there's a huge mindset shift when it comes to the the page itself. It's so much more about planning and looking ahead at the day in front of me versus airing out any grievances I've had over the last couple of days, which I also still think is important. I love to journal to understand my feelings and to process the things that I've already been through, but I don't actually spend that much time uh, planning out the day in front of me or even understanding what I want to do with the time that I have. So far, I've really been enjoying journaling in the morning. The only thing is, is that you actually have to be intentional about the time that you need to do that. I've had to restructure my morning to make sure that I have the time to sit down and do all of that before I start my day and get where I need to be, which had a domino effect in me going to bed earlier to make sure that I could make that happen. So only good things have come from this so far. Lately, I've only been up late to record this podcast. I just have to do it at like two, three o'clock in the morning to make sure that it's silent and that I can produce good audio. So tomorrow will probably be one of those days where I have to, (laughs) unfortunately, maybe skip or, you know, reincorporate the pages. I just try to get them done before noon on the days that I really can't do it. And I know I'm not going to complete every single thing every week. I try not to beat myself up about it. I only did four out of eight of the tasks, which at first I thought was really awful. I thought I was off to like a rough start, but that's what's really great about being in the Slack group and completing this with other people. Every single time that you think you're the only person going through something or that you're the worst at something or that you're doing the worst at whatever it is you're struggling with in life, I really love that the universe does a good job of showing you that you're not. And maybe it must be that we all did the reflection on Sunday night at the same time and had this conversation with ourselves at the same time and we almost have realized But someone put this excerpt from the book in the chat literally the next day, and I forgot about this when I read it, but it actually really did help. Straight from Miss Julia Cameron herself, she says, you probably won't have time to complete all the tasks in any given week. Try to do about half and know that the rest are there to use when you're able to get back to them. Tell me why I only did four tasks and I thought I was way behind. It literally says, in choosing which half of the tasks to do, use two guidelines. Pick those that appeal to you and those you strongly resist. Leave the more neutral ones for later. Just remember, in choosing, we often resist what we most need. 
I am a girl that thinks affirmations are cheesy, but I've done a really good job of incorporating them into my life. So I was able to do that. I listed my affirmations as one of the tasks that it required of me. I did the self-worth task, even though I thought that was corny. It actually really did make me realize that the things that I thought were holding me back when it came to self-worth or to thinking that my art is good enough are not the issues. Hence how I landed on that episode about perfectionism, believe it or not. I just started trying to take my own advice when it came to those things. And since I did the one about the enemies of self-worth, I also chose to do the one where I listed the champions of my self-worth. And the answers were almost identical, believe it or not, which is crazy. Without getting too deep into it, I basically realized on a grand scale that the thing holding me back is me. And the thing that's also making this happen is also me and everyone that listens and supports, obviously, but it has to start here before it gets to you guys. So I've learned that I need to just get out of my own way. And I've also learned that sometimes you're going to be the only person that thinks you did a good job. You're going to have to be the person that reminds yourself that you did a good job. And it's going to feel great when there are other people there to tell you that you did a good job. Every single kind word that I received about these first two episodes uh, were part of the thing that helped me to be inspired to create another one. But I also realized that even when no one likes the episode, when I create an episode that flops, I still have to make another one so that you can recover from it and move on. You just can't let it be the end all be all. And towards the end of the week, I really wanted to make sure that I got quite a few of the tasks done. So I did take myself on the 20 minute walk. I had to dig deep to do the other ones. And she did encourage us to do easy tasks. So the walk was great. I don't even have anything to report about it. As for the artist date, I did take myself to the beach and catch a sunrise. And it was beautiful. I told the earth I love her. I really just spent some time in nature. And sun on my face is always going to raise my mood. So it really did a great job of setting the tone for the week. Going through this program has also made it really easy to stick with 75 hard, 75 soft, I guess, and vice versa. It's been probably a lot easier to stick with both of the programs than it would be for me as if I was doing one of them. I feel like one holds me accountable to the other and I love that. But remember last week when I said that I was ready for like a cheesy book? I specifically said that I wanted a smutty book. I still haven't gotten that. I still haven't pursued my stupid brainless smutty book yet. And I fear that if I stay as busy as I am, which is a good thing, I'm welcoming the season of busyness, but I feel like I might not get to my smutty book in time. I don't even like smutty books. I feel like this is one of those food cravings where like you crave it and it drives you crazy and then you get it and it's awful and you just regret it the whole time. But I don't really want to put that kind of bad juju on myself because there's nothing that sends me into a reading slump worse than an awful book. (laughs) Yeah, if it's one of those books where like I have to struggle to get through it, it really does make it hard to get out of it because I just feel like I always go through like multiple bad books at a time and then I have one book that's really phenomenal that really just kicks everything off and I'm in a good place right now with books. Outside of the artist's way and doing the reading for that, I just recently finished On Earth We're Briefly Gorgeous by Ocean Vuong. It's a book about war and immigration and building relationships as a person who has immigrant parents and It's actually the book that made me 
really want to read the smut book because it had a little bit of smut in there, but it wasn't smut. It was like beautifully (laughs) written and portrayed intercourse, I guess, for lack of a better words, with an overarching point to it. And I just want garbage in my brain, truthfully. And don't get me wrong, On Earth We're Briefly Gorgeous is a short and quick read. It was to the point. It was so well done. It didn't drag at all. And I finished it fairly quickly. But on top of this yearning for garbage that it created, I also read A Little Life by Hanya Yanagara. And that book has sat with me for weeks. I've been done with that book for weeks. And I still honestly have a lot of thinking to do about it. I think I need to read it again to really understand how I feel about it. But that's the book that kind of inspired this episode. It provoked a lot of thought for me, to say the least. The book has a lot of overarching themes about measuring your own self-worth and your success and measuring your success against the successes of your peers or measuring your successes around the people that are close to you who have different benchmarks for their success in their own fields and their own lives. It's, it's also a lot about career development and stagnation and dealing with the feelings of stagnation while watching your peers achieve the things that they've always talked about. The book also does a really good job of portraying how not everybody's starting benchmark is the same, so you can't measure your success against other people and how detrimental doing that is to your mental health. It's a heavy read, though. If you are going to read it, I would definitely suggest looking up the trigger warnings that are involved in that book because it's deep and it gets there really fast. It's not like you really have a time to see it coming, truthfully. But if you have the stomach and the mental strength to get through the book, I really do suggest you do. It's wonderful. So between the artist's way, having a whole week of the theme of self-worth, and A Little Life by Hanya Anagara, which really has a huge theme of self-worth. This week's episode is actually about fulfillment. And I know it doesn't sound like it correlates, but this is where my brain ended up at the end of the week with all of this. In Julia Cameron's book, The Artist's Way, she basically has a quote in there that says, As artists, we must learn to be self-nourishing. And I think it's really important to understand what you need in order to figure out what you want. The first chapter of The Artist's Way talks about our need for fulfillment and support and how sometimes not receiving that from other people leads to discouragement. And I've also just understood that when they say comparison is the thief of joy, they mean it. So sometimes when you aren't receiving that from other people and you're not giving it to yourself, there's a clear void and deficit there. And sometimes support from the people around you can look a little bit different than what you need. Sometimes you might be looking for something and they're providing it to you in a different way. For example, my parents often urge me to make more practical choices every once in a while. They support and, you know, really understand that I I need to do this the hard way. I think they've realized that I wouldn't be fulfilled if I didn't. But as my parents, they do often urge me to make choices that would land me some stability. I've just come to realize that I don't think I would be fulfilled by stability if it wasn't mentally stimulating, creatively stimulating, however you want to look at it. And I think that they see that for me too. I think they understand why I have to do it this way. But as a parent, the support that they have to provide me might be advice that urges me towards a responsible choice like a nine to five. 
But see, this is what I was talking about when it comes to measuring success, because for them, as parents, they wouldn't feel like they've met their requirements or done the thing that they were supposed to to make them successful. They wouldn't feel fulfilled with the job that they've done unless they've made sure to, you know, make me aware of all of my options. To complement that point, in the first chapter of the book, Julia Cameron puts a focus on an anecdote about shadow artists which is basically people who are working in art adjacent careers, but they don't feel fulfilled with what they're working on, which is where I was at. I'm a graphic designer. I've worked in web design. I work in marketing, but I've just come to realize that while I'm good at those things and I can produce really great work, it wasn't fulfilling. It was stable. It was guaranteed. It was safe, but it was not fulfilling. And I know that won't be the case for everyone, but I've come to understand that you can love your job as much as you want. It won't love you back. You know, the people that you work with might, but your job itself, your job title cannot love you back. And maybe that's just because you can't rely on an external source to find fulfillment. You can't even rely on views or virality or even accolade and award when it comes to doing your job. So in terms of finding fulfillment, it's really important to understand what actually matters to you. And for me, self-expression and creative freedom, and yes, stability too, are important to me. But it's really important to me to create that stability through the means of the first two things that I just said. And I definitely feel that there's a direct correlation between figuring out what to pursue and feeling happy in pursuing it. But that's, again, what's really great about writing these morning pages, because the first thing that I realized is getting to the bottom of figuring out what's fulfilling to you requires reflection on your goals and your values and a lot of the things you've already been through in life that didn't work for you. It really does require you to take a step back. Another thing is, I think it's really important to understand the difference between fulfillment and purpose. I think some people think those things are synonymous. And don't get me wrong, I think that there are people who feel called to do something and they are fulfilled by it. And those people feel like they've found their purpose, which is amazing. But I truly don't think you have to find your purpose to be able to find fulfillment. A lot of people also think that purpose and usefulness are synonymous. It's taken me a long time to understand that we are sentient beings on a floating rock with free will. We're all tortured by our own existence, and we would drive ourselves insane trying to fill all of these buzzwords like purpose and fulfillment and this and that if it all looked the same for everybody else. I don't think that as a human, people have an intended use. I don't think that fulfillment is about being useful or not. I think it's about doing what makes you happy and doing what makes you feel like you've lived the life that you wanted to. You may find fulfillment laying in your room with zero responsibility. You may find fulfillment in learning, in academic validation. Some people may find fulfillment in fitness and being in the best shape that they possibly could. All three of the things that I just named have zero physical output. There is no tangible end product when it comes to doing those things, but lots of people may find fulfillment in that. I also think that a key to finding fulfillment is being okay with changing your mind, understanding that it may have been what you wanted at one point and it's not anymore, that 
you know, you may not have liked what you pursued, a lot of people get caught up in what's known as the sunken cost fallacy. I took one philosophy class almost 10 years ago, and this is the one thing out of that whole class that has stuck with me. To put it simply, it basically is the thought process where someone thinks that because they've invested so much time or money that they have to see it through. You don't always have to see it through, especially if it's making you miserable. And lots of people, including myself sometimes, are guilty of that, of looking at what I've already invested, what I've already put into it, whether it be time, money, effort, whatever you are measuring it by, and continuing to do something that is irrational or doesn't make any sense anymore for the sake of the things that you've already lost, instead of looking at it, how much more time am I going to invest in this thing that I hate? Or how much more money am I going to put into this thing that's not working, into this business that's failing, into whatever it is, into this relationship that I feel like I've already been in for too long? People tend to not look ahead of them at the resources that they're wasting by continuing to invest in this thing that they know doesn't work. They spend all their time looking behind them at what's already lost. I won't turn this into a critical thinking podcast, But if you were interested in reading more about that, fallacies of thought, there's a bajillion of them. I'm pretty sure there's like 20 different fallacies of thought that are coined by critical thinkers. The sunken cost fallacy is the one that has reminded me over and over and over again that it's okay to change your mind. The sunken cost fallacy is why I abandoned books three quarters of the way through. Because I don't care. If it's wasting my time, I'm done with it. If there are relationships in my life that are not healthy anymore, I can't look at how much time's already been invested, especially if it's a recurring thing that's not working out for me. If there's art that I've made that sucks, I don't have to finish the piece. That used to tear me up for months on end. I would be working on this one thing, trying to make it better. And if it's not getting better, just either throw out the canvas or paint over it. It's okay. That has led me to so much more fulfilling activities and making so many more art pieces that I consider to be successes. It's so much easier to try something new and to do something a little differently and maybe find success and fulfillment in that than it is to keep searching in places that I know that it doesn't exist. All right, we're at the part of the episode where I give you some actionable steps, things that you can do today to help you achieve the goals that we're trying to achieve. So to figure out fulfillment and to understand the discernment that I have to develop to get what I want. When it came to understanding fulfillment for me, this was my exact thought process, to be honest. So I hope this works for you. Step one was to figure out exactly what I absolutely did not want out of life. Just to know what the hard no's were, it made it very easy to understand what my parameters of exploration were. Figuring out what I absolutely do not want helped me to stop wasting my time pursuing things that I knew wouldn't be fruitful at the end. So for me, I knew for a fact that I didn't want a nine to five anymore, that I don't want something that has a traditional schedule or traditional structure to it. And I definitely absolutely don't want a cubicle. So by vetting my opportunities based on this criteria, on all of my deal breakers, you can apply this to dating too if you want. Vet your opportunities based on your hard no's. And if they meet any of those hard no's, then you know it's time to move on. 
if you end up with, it could be great if it wasn't for this one thing, if that one thing is on your list, then we know that that opportunity should be left for the person that's searching for it because it's not the opportunity you're looking for. Once we understand what we don't want, actionable step number two has to be trying some new stuff. So you can always pick three things that interest you to read about or learn about. You could try to bake something. You can always try to find a free yoga class or a Zumba class. You can learn a language on YouTube. You can start a movie diary. Uh, Whatever it is that you choose to do, just make sure you document your progress. Actionable step number three is to go out on a limb. Apply for jobs you don't think you'll get. Talk to some strangers, meet new people, enter contests. Just do things out of the ordinary that might not work. You'd be so intrigued by how many times I've had opportunities arise in the most peculiar and unexpected places that I wasn't even supposed to be. You'd be surprised how many times I've been successful from pursuing opportunities I had no business pursuing. And now that's not to be confused with pursuing opportunities that didn't suit me. I just mean pursuing opportunities that are so left field for me that it surprised me and everyone else around me to make something out of it. And of course, I do also have food for thought for you guys. And this week is a little different than last week because it doesn't require any external uh, (laughs) stimuli to answer this. And now remember, when it comes to measuring fulfillment, you have to have a benchmark for that. You have to understand what it is you're looking for in order to know when you found it. So the question you have to ask yourself is, how do I measure success? Is it a qualitative measurement? Is it quantitative? Is it money? Is it likes? Is it physical output for art? Is it people standing in the room? Is it your feelings? Is it happiness? Accomplishments? Is it awards on the wall? There is no right or wrong answer when it comes to that because this is so relative to each person. Not everyone's going to have the same value. So it's really important to understand that. I also don't think there's a shallow or deep answer when it comes to that question. It just is or isn't what you want. And it's a good segue into the next question, which pretty much, I guess everybody gets asked at one point or another, but it's really good to constantly uh, do a self-check-in and make sure that your answer is still the same as last time. And that if it's not the same, then you're reprioritizing to make sure that you're achieving the things that you want out of it. And that's really simple. It's just basically the question like once you and your family and your friends and all the people that you care about, once everyone's basic needs are met and your responsibilities are squared away, what do you spend your time doing? Once you've checked all the boxes, you've been the person that you're supposed to be and you've shown up for yourself and everyone else in the way that you're supposed to and you have this infinite free time, what do you spend it doing? Remember what I said? It's okay if the answer to that question is nothing because some of us are tired and sometimes the most fulfilling thing that a person could want is rest. So it's okay if that answer is nothing. But I'm not sure that we all ask ourselves that question because of how pressing our responsibilities are in our day-to-day life. We understand what we have to do. We understand what we might like to do. But I just have a feeling that as a society, we're not allowing ourselves to think about what we would do if we didn't have anything else to do. I don't know, guys. This episode took such a weird and loopy 
philosophical woo-woo twist that I wasn't really expecting, but that's kind of what I love about this, is that I can talk about whatever I want, and I find so much fulfillment from just talking shit into a microphone in my bedroom. So I will see you guys next week. Uh, Right now, episodes have been coming out on Wednesdays, and I think that's working out really well for me. I'm going to try to keep up with that schedule. If you've made it this far into the episode, I really do appreciate it. Thank you so much for your time. I hope this was fruitful and inspiring to you. If you enjoyed it, please rate this five stars and leave a review. This is my whole heart on a platter for you guys. I've never had a platform where I could be so open and vulnerable about my thoughts and experiences, and I'm really enjoying my time here. So until next week, I hope that this helps and I hope you have a good week. I will see you next time. Bye.